WXDX FM, Pittsburgh. Postseason analysis of the Penguins is underway, and most of it makes very little sense. There's zero point discussing a trade of Geno because he's got a full no movement clause and shows no sign of wanting to leave. There's almost zero point in discussing trades of Jack Johnson, Patrick Hornquist, and Phil Kessel because who the frig would want him? given mediocre performance combined with big, long contracts. I hear people saying the Penguins need to get faster like that's an overnight process and like options are available in Wilkes-Barre-Scranton. It isn't and they are not. I hear people saying the Penguins need to do this, that, and the other to win another Stanley Cup. Well, maybe this group isn't going to win another Stanley Cup. Maybe that's all over. Hey, this core has done really well, and for a really long time. But maybe that's all over. You should strive for excellence and try to fix your problems. But you're not going to get fast again like you were in 16 and 17. Not anytime soon. The best bet is to D up and adopt more structure. But these guys aren't going to want to do that because they see themselves as they were and not as they are today. It might be tough moving forward. This is very inexact now. And Brian Russ did say today that a lot of the Penguins' problems are self-inflicted. And he's right. And they will continue to be. I want to be there, for example, when somebody tells Gino he stick handles too much in the neutral zone for a guy who's 33 and not fast enough to catch up to his mistakes. This is the Mark Madden Show. Colorado leads Calgary three games to one, just as I predicted. Of course, that's pretty much the only series I got right. Uh, 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. Or you can do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter, at MarkMaddenX. Brian Dumoulin says he was playing with a torn PCL. Jared McCann had a separated shoulder. Matt Cullen says he hasn't made a decision on retiring. Yo, The Pens need to make it for him. Enough already. I respect Matt Cullen a ton, but it's over, Johnny. Whatever Cullen was supposed to do, he didn't. And now Teddy Bluger would help him in that spot. All praise be to Matt Cullen. Dude's 42. He's got three cups. He did enough. He was great. He'd be an excellent coach if that's what he wants. You can't change things if you don't change things. You know what I mean? You want things to be different, but you want the same guys, and it don't work that way. You got to D up. You got to change the system, the style, the structure. Unless you want to do what Chicago did and say, okay, we need to reload, and you miss the playoffs while you do it. Matt Larkin of the Hockey News is going to drop by at 3.30 to talk about the Blackhawks method. Hey, Chicago is reloaded. 
This the Brent Cat's sweet. He got 41 goals and he's 21. Gustafsson on D, he got 60 points. Dylan Strom's 22. He got 53 points. So that is a potential approach too. Mostly you gotta get guys to change how they play and to make an allowance for their age. Latang is great in the defensive zone and neutral zone. He's just got to dial back on the pinch a bit, and that should be systematic. Tanger talked to the media today. He doesn't seem inclined to go in that direction. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Uh, Gino still gets points, but he's got to avoid Dangle City so much in the neutral zone. And if you're not willing to tell these guys that, or they're not willing to do that, then you don't want to win. They don't want to win. But like I said, maybe you're just not going to win again with this group. It's sad to say, but all good things come to an end. Because what happened against the Islanders, that didn't look like a fluke to me. That looked like comeuppances on a lot of different levels. It looked improbable before it happened, but it looked inevitable once it started. Uh, You talk about who you going to trade and not. Probably the most tradable guy is Mata because he's young, he's got pedigree, and he's affordable. And he signed through 2022. But maybe those are the reasons you don't want to trade him. But Mata would bring decent return. Some of the local experts are committed to guys like McCann and Pedersen. But neither one had major impact once the playoffs started. Hey, I like them two guys too. But when you get swept in the first round, You can't go down the roster and like 17 or 18 guys if you want to change. Like I said, you want things to be different, but you don't want to change anything. Latang seems to be the popular scapegoat as well as sacrificial lamb because, and please do say it with me, we won a cup in 17 without him. But I don't know how you replace what Latang does. I don't know how you replace his minutes. And what he does in the defensive zone. Logging the puck out of danger like he does. You don't trade players to avenge mistakes made. Whether perceived or real. You got to have a plan of succession. If you think Schultz does what Latang does. You're insane. And Schultz only has one more year left on his deal. If you want to backtrack and look at mistakes made by management. They probably shouldn't assign Johnson or re-sign Hornquist. Johnson did okay this year, but you could have played somebody like Ricola, and he would have moved the puck better. Put it like this. If you never get Johnson and Ricola plays in that spot, you make the playoffs and lose in the first round. Johnson didn't affect anything really one way or the other. I like Johnson, but he's a third liner, and that's already in the first year of his new deal. Uh, The popular thing to do on radio shows with many fewer listeners than this one, I'll I'll get to that in a bit as well, seems to be to rate the Penguins' untouchables. Well, here's my untouchables. Sid, Matt Murray, Chris Letang, Jake Gensel, and Evgeny Malkin. And Malkin because of the no-movement clause. And that's it. That's the list. I'd be willing to listen when it comes to anybody else. In other news, the Steelers' schedule is out. So I guess we should predict their record now before the draft and preseason and all that because how could you not know right now how good they're going to do? 
Uh, it's a tough start for the Steelers. You're at New England, the Super Bowl champs, and then you're at home against Seattle, and the Seahawks went 10-6 and last year. You, you better fix that defense. The Steelers have pro- five primetime games and only seven games at 1 p.m. on Sunday, which is when God intended the Steelers to play. Uh, by the way, the Steelers are six-and-a-half-point underdogs at New England for Week 1. Hey, if Vegas can set the line now, we can predict now. Uh, The Steelers play the New York Jets in Week 17. I would look forward to that, except Lev Bell will have been out for the season for about two months by then. The Pirates won again 3-2 at Detroit in 10 innings. They're getting good pitching, and they are 10-6, but... In the immortal words of Rachel Phelps, don't worry, they'll blow it. The Pirates are at home tomorrow night, and let's see how many people bother to show up. Well, well, well. The new radio ratings came in, and I am number one among men, 25 to 54, which is always a lock. That would be like a New York Jets in Super Bowl three-level upset if I wasn't. But I'm also number one among persons 18 to 49. Not just men, but persons. That includes women, I imagine. So women love me, just like men love me, and kids love me. Ain't I wonderful? Ain't I great? Don't you wish you were just like me? That one's for Roddy Piper, who would have been 65 years old today. Uh, I miss Roddy a, a great deal. Double M on the X, 412-333-9939. At the 3.30, we got Matt Larkin from the Hockey News. Check out his article. It's about the Chicago Blackhawks and how they opted to go backwards to move forwards. That they didn't worry about just sneaking into the playoffs They weren't afraid to miss the postseason for a couple years if it meant really reloading and building what they hope will be a championship team again. That's Matt Larkin at 3.30. And we got Josh Yoey from TheAthletic.com at 5.30. Uh, Just around the corner, you got to hear this. Skip Bayless of Fox has looked at the Steelers' schedule and wait till you hear what he's predicting. I'm Mark Madden, 105.90X. Now the super genius, Mark Madden. You're kidding me. That's ridiculous. You know what? I'm going to skip right to my original thought and just say, this is stupid. You're stupid. Thanks for calling. The X at 105.9. Skip Bayless of Fox Sports TV has taken a look at the Steelers' schedule like so many of us have, and he certainly seems to have confidence in the Steelers. Uh, Here's what Skip Bayless said earlier today. I say the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be the shock team of the year this year. They're going to be the most motivated NFL team by far. And I think they're going to come out swinging. I think they're going to go to New England and upset the Patriots. Well, maybe I got to see how that shapes up before that game. I I just might bet on it because remember what Kansas City did to New but England. They, they don't, they don't okay. possess that kind of firepower. Okay. Well, that was Alex Smith did it to them. Remember but, but that? They, don't, like, okay. they don't have a Tyreek Hill because huh. remember they got rid of AB Skip. So let's see. They got 
Juju, and they, they added Dante Moncrief to that mix, and, and they also have James Washington and Ryan Switzer and Eli Rogers and Vance McDonald, and that, that guy James Conner, he's not bad. Maybe he's not Le'Veon quite, but did you see what Jalen Samuels did to, to the, uh, to the uh, Patriots last year? Remember he went for 142? Hold on. Interesting. Juju is a very is a good receiver. But we're going to find out it remains to be seen how well he can play mm -hmm. as the number one when he gets all the attention. Mm -hmm. James Conner had an unbelievable season, mm -hmm. but he's not Le'Veon. So, with that being said, they're not going on the road. Mm. First of all, they barely ever, ever, ever beat the Patriots okay. anyway, okay. let alone I, in New England. It's exactly why I think they're going to get them this time. I think they're going to be the surprise. You're going to have to eat those words all year long. Passway about them. 14. Okay, we'll see about that. But, but again, we might have several cases on that one because I got an early strong feeling about the Steelers going 13-3, and three, and they'll just run off with this division. Run off. First of all, they couldn't, go, they couldn't go 13-3 and three when everything was perfect. Mm. A.B. wasn't complaining. Le'Veon was, was, was gone. Gone. Yes. Gone. Clear decks. But my point is. And those guys are taking so many shots, they're just fueling the fire. I told you, Ben Roethlisberger is my early candidate for MVP. It's not going to happen. Okay. Just watch. When, so when was the last time they were 13 and 3? Even before Le'Veon became Le'Veon, even before care. AB became AB, they're gone. Complaining. They're gone. But they weren't always right. complaining. They right. weren't. Well, Le'Veon. I'm just telling you. I don't what think Le'Veon caused their problem, yeah. but that's neither here nor there. He's mm. gone. I give you that. Mm. But they're not going. They're not going 13 and 3. They won't even win 11 games. Just remember, okay, we'll you, you heard that. it here first. Shannon Sharp should have just shut up and let Skip talk. Skip, finally, after all this time, sounded like he knew what he was talking about. I think 11-3 and three is a, a bit overboard. Excuse me, 13-3. and three. I do think the Steelers are going to win the division. But who knows? They could go 13-3. and three. Then again, New England and Seattle the first two weeks, they could also start out. Oh, and two. Uh, getting back to the Penguins and uh, Jim Rutherford talked today, and so did Mike Sullivan. We'll discuss what they said a bit later in the show. Uh, Matt Cullen said it's too early to push the panic button with the Penguins. You got to love it when a 42 year old hockey player uh, thinks long term. Uh, you know, I don't think taking a hard look at the Penguins after what happened is pushing the panic button. The Penguins had a mediocre regular season followed by a disastrous playoff. You can't just maintain. You can't live off 16 and 17 any longer. And plus, when the Steelers go 13 and 3, we're going to mostly talk about them. Hey, at the very least, we can like the Steelers again, right? Without the toxic twins. I ran into Tom Bradley last night, the DB's coach. And I said that to him, hey, with those two jagoffs gone, the toxic twins, I can like the Steelers again. And Tom didn't pile on because he can't, but I know he agrees. I bet Ben agrees. I bet 70% of the locker room agrees. Uh, Chris Letang said he has total confidence in the current group. I know he has to say that, but I don't see how that's possible given what's happened. Tanger had a few uh, acerbic things to say to the media today. We'll get to that uh, probably at the top of the hour. Now, I don't trust a lot of the fan criticism after the Penguins lost, though, because it indulges fanboy type of stuff. Like, there's no blaming Murray. It's not logical. It makes zero sense. Murray had a very good season and got the team into the playoffs with a great march. 
He didn't suck in the playoffs, which is more than most of the other Penguins could say. But X amount of fans are blaming Murray because they're still mad that Flurry is gone. And that's just silly. And the Latang haters are going nuts, and the Kessel fans are like, my God, how could you ever trade Phil? We love Phil. Uh, Sid's not playing in the world championships. That's good. Uh, that's realizing that you're 31 and have only so much great hockey left. There's no point wasting it at a second-rate tournament. Uh, let's go to Jason in the car. Jason, you're on with Mark. Uh, what's up, Mark? How you doing? What up, man? Hey, I totally agree with you that it's pointless to talk about trading Johnson or Kessel because nobody would want those contracts. But I don't think Hornquist's contract would be that bad on a team that's going to use him top six and on the top power play. Because it wasn't a bad deal. After the year he had this year, how many teams would want to use him in the top six and on the top power play? Uh, I mean, I could see a team like Nashville wanting him back. They traded him here. No, I, I know. but I just And they got a lot of pretty good right wings, too. I just think he can still be a 25-goal scorer for the next couple of years. And what's it, like five, five million and some change? Do you think Nashville would put him on their first power play? I don't know. I don't, I don't know who's on their first power play. Well, until you do, you really can't say whether Nashville would need him or not. Uh, Phil Kessel believes the window for another Stanley Cup is still open for the Penguins, but then he said it's not as easy as the outside world projects to win games. Actually, I have a pretty good idea, Phil, how hard it is. And we've been shown, just in living color, it's hard to win even one in the first round this year. So, yeah, we got a, we got a pretty good idea. Next, from the Hockey News, going to talk to Matt Larkin about the Penguins rebuilding. 105.90X. This is Phil Kessa of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden, the best hockey talk on 105.90X. The headline at the Hockey News website reads, The Penguins must go backward to go forward. Joining us now is the author of that article from the Hockey News. It's Matt Larkin. Uh, Matt, you compared the decline in Chicago to the Penguins' decline now. What are the most compelling parallels? Where has Pittsburgh gone bad? It's very fascinating. I've actually been watching this story for a couple of years because I think that Chicago and the Penguins are on a very similar trajectory where you had the Blackhawks, you know, winning their last Stanley Cup in 2015, and they had a series of trading away a lot of their futures, their first-round picks, their assets, in the name of chasing Stanley Cups, which, of course, was the right strategy for a team with a top-heavy roster, you know, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, and their prime, Duncan Keith, winning Stanley Cups. It's what you do. And, of course, we saw Jim Rutherford doing the same thing over the past couple seasons. The Penguins not using almost any of their first-round picks. The ones they had, they were trading them away. And we all know how the movie ends. We sort of saw it with Chicago. Eventually, when you have that top-heavy roster structure, you pay your stars, but as the stars start to age, like Duncan Keith, for example, in Chicago, then the rest of the roster, you can't really replace it with the same level of talent. You don't have the money, and you don't have the prospects because you're trading away those first-round picks. Eventually, it starts to collapse. So two years ago, we see the Chicago Blackhawks get swept in round, round one by Nashville. Next year, they're out of the playoffs, and I'm seeing the parallel now with the Penguins could not add very much in the offseason, this past offseason, right, because they're maxed out at the cap. They get swept by the Islanders in round one. I feel like I'm kind of reliving what we saw with Chicago a couple years ago. But what's intriguing is that I think Chicago has started to remedy things by accepting its fate and holding on to those first-round picks. So the question we have to ask today about the Penguins is, do they have to start thinking of themselves as not a full rebuilder, but maybe a mini-rebuilder? Uh 
I agree with all that. Let's stay with the Hawks for just one second. How close are they to being not only a playoff team again, Matt, but a contender after this mini-rebuilt? It's interesting because I never would have thought so a year ago, but now I'm kind of wondering if they could sneak back into playoff contention by next year. And I think a key move was the Dylan Strome trade. You have Strome and Brandon Perlini, both former first-round picks, kind of underachievers, coming to Chicago for Nick Schmaltz. And suddenly Chicago has that second line, and Alex DeBrinkin having a huge breakout season. And the Hawks, part of their problem, just like Pittsburgh, I think, is a depth deeper into the forward core because you're depending on your stars so much. And suddenly Chicago has that depth. And because of that, they're able to put Kane and Taves on a line together. And suddenly Chicago can score again. And also the Blackhawks, you know, they traded Ryan Hartman last year. They got an extra first-round pick. They're past two drafts. They used three first-round picks on defensemen. They repaired that decor. They have some good prospects coming in, especially Adam Boakfist, Henry Yokiharu. So the blue line is going to get a lot better in, in seasons to come. So I, I th- kind of think the arrow is starting to point up for Chicago. And most importantly, and I think this is the most important parallel to Pittsburgh, they're doing it pretty quickly. So what you might see is a youth movement rising up before it's too late for Kane and Taves, uh, and while they're still sort of in their primes, relatively in their primes. And I'm wondering if Jim Rutherford has to examine doing a similar plan, where you take a step backward, and it might mean missing the playoffs for one or two seasons. But by doing so, you reload with a little bit of youth, and in one to two years, you know, we know Sidney Crosby in particular. Malkin's health can be a question mark, but Crosby, we know how devoted he is to the game. He's still going to be a great hockey player in one to two years. And it might be worth taking that step back to chase actual deep playoff runs in two years rather than trying to reload again and coughing and wheezing to another low seed next year. Now, Pittsburgh has already started getting a bit younger, haven't they? Uh, they got guys like McCann, Bukestad. Pedersen, they called up Teddy Bluger. It seems like Rutherford already semi-had his eye on this, doesn't it? I think so. And I think, in particular, the Bukestad, Bukestad and McCann acquisitions, they're getting young, relatively young players who have you know first-round pedigree and are under team control for multiple seasons going forward. So that kind of reminded me a little bit of the Dylan Strom perlini trade for Chicago. What I think Pittsburgh has to do now, though, is, you know, they have been amazingly good at developing, bringing up guys guys like Teddy Bluger and tracing it back, Brian Russ, Connor Sherry, Jake Gensel. None of those guys had elite draft type of pedigree. Some of them were undrafted, right? But what I think Pittsburgh needs now is some actual high pedigree players with a much higher percentage chance of being impact NHLers. And the way to do that, hold on to your first-round picks. And maybe, and this is another big question, do you need to trade to get another first-round pick or to move up in the draft? And do you have to look at, say, you know, the name on everybody's mind is a Phil Kessel. Do you have to move a good veteran out in the name of getting some futures, some high pedigree futures? Well, who can the Penguins trade that will bring legit return, Matt? You mentioned Kessel, but A, who really wants Kessel with his contract and and his quirkiness, and B, what might the return be? Good question. So Kessel, of course, it's a bit complicated because he does have the clause in his contract. He has to name eight teams to which he'd accept a trade. But personally, I always think clauses are a bit overblown. If a player knows that he's wanted out, it kind of makes the player want to leave anyways, and he's more willing to accept a trade to more destinations. So I don't think that's a huge concern. And with Kessel, okay, there's always the stigma about him. You know, he doesn't have the classic look of a fit hockey player. There's always rumors, does he clash with his line mates, does he not? But the results are there. Kessel was key, a key component of two Stanley Cup runs. And 92 points two years ago, this year, point-per-game player again. 
he's really developed into a good playmaker. He was always a good shooter, but now I think he's even more of a playmaker than a shooter. He's still very effective. I mean, you look at teams out there, there's always someone looking for offense. And Phil Kessel's cap it, I think it's still it's expensive, sure, but it represents the production. I think he's worth every penny. So I personally don't think it would be that difficult to find a suitor for him. Uh, and given the production, I think he's the type of guy that can return a first-round pick and more, a first-round pick and maybe a prospect. Maybe you have to negotiate some kind of salary retention. I'm not sure. Uh, but either way, I think he's still a valuable player. Uh, who else could the Penguins swap that might bring decent return? People talk about Hornquist. But he's got a big ticket. What about Olimata? A young defenseman, to be sure, but he was surplus to requirements in this year's playoffs. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned Mata. That's a guy on my mind as well, uh, especially if you look at Hornquist. Hornquist has a no-trade clause as well, uh, and we know there's major concerns about his body, right? 32 years old, but I think he's almost like 35 years old, his hockey body, uh, with the concussions and the style he plays. So he's a much riskier investment than someone like Phil Kessel, who I think has been very durable. Uh, but Ali Mata, that's a great pick because he has no restrictions on his movement in his contract. The cap hit uh, $4.1 million, so it, it would be a nice chunk of change to move off the books if Jim Rutherford is looking to, to, to sign or, or acquire something else. But it's not so prohibitive that he's not tradable because he's still only 24 years old, and he... Still has some upside left. He's mobile. He's got good size. I, I think he's underachieved relative to the expectations being a first-round pick uh, six or seven years ago. Um, I think it is maybe time to move on from him or at least see what you can get from for him. Uh, so I, I think he's a perfect example of the type of candidate that you consider shopping. We're talking to Matt Larkin of the Hockey News here on the X. Uh, let's let's ask you to read some minds here, Matt. Uh, how patient might Crosby and Malkin be? And would they see the upside of going a bit backwards now? to go forward in a year or so? It's an excellent question, and it's maybe the most important question. You have to be willing to sell your stars on this philosophy. And, uh, you know, looking at Malkin's comments after the sweep, he strikes me as someone who's less likely to be patient. I think he wants this team to reload and believes that they don't have to change too much. Uh, I think Crosby is he's maybe a bit more cerebral. I don't want to, I don't want to shortchange Malkin. I think Malkin's a super intelligent guy, super intelligent player. But Crosby is, you know, the next level student of the game who I think if anyone is willing to make that kind of sacrifice, he might be the guy who's willing to do it, who's willing to buy into a long-term plan like that. It would still feel strange. I can't imagine the idea of Crosby playing on a team that's scuffling along. I can't even picture it unless you count his rookie season. But uh, I still think if he and Malkin and the rest of the veterans care about you know chasing championships, not just chasing playoff berths, going a little bit backward might be the way to do it. Uh, one thing worth noting, Matt, in a cap league, it's not that hard to rebuild quickly. It, it won't happen overnight, but it's not a five-year process either. Yes, that's right. But I think if you're going to do the quick rebuild, you've got to do it with youth and you've got to do it with draft picks. And the Penguins are going to have to recoup some of those draft picks. Right? They have their first rounder this year, but they've got a lot of second rounders missing from the board. Uh, so I think one key to accelerating that rebuild, because it is a young man's game, is stocking up, getting more picks in the next couple of drafts. You look at what the New York Rangers are doing, for example. They're going to pick this year. They're going to end up with picks six and seven, seven first-round picks in a three-draft range. They've been loading up on picks in many different rounds, and you're just pumping young assets into your system, and I think the Penguins have to start sort of approaching the draft with that philosophy, and that can accelerate a rebuild. It sounds backwards to get younger, but I think in this day and age, the speed of the game, 
You never know who can make a roster quickly, and it can change a team's fate in a hurt. Well, you make a great point about first-round picks, but uh, the Penguins have only had one since 2012, and they traded him. That was Kasperi Kapanen in Toronto in that Kessel deal. The Penguins really have nothing in the system. Yes, that's right. So Future Watch, our, our hockey news edition every year, we, where we rank every team's farm system, uh, and also their, their kids in the NHL who are 21 younger, uh, the Penguins graded out 31st, dead last. And they're, they're one of the only teams, if not the only team, that does not have a single player ranked in the top 100 NHL-affiliated prospects. And again, I say that, and I'm not critical of it. It's sort of just, okay, yeah, they're paying the piper. Rutherford knew what he was doing. You got two Stanley Cups out of it. It was absolutely worth it. It's totally the right thing to do. When you had Crosby and Malkin in your prime, you had good teams that were Stanley Cup contenders, and you won Stanley Cups. But now the result is here, and it was always going to happen. And teams like San Jose, Chicago, teams like that that were – very consistently contenders and not picking high in the draft, they tend to rank lower uh, in our prospect rankings. And that's normal, but uh, eventually, if you're never pumping in high-end kids into your system, it's going to catch up to you, and I think that that's what we're finally starting to see in Pittsburgh. Uh, finally, Matt, we've talked about what the Penguins should do. What do you think they will do? Because part of me says they'll just reload and try to sneak in and do all the stuff we're talking about that they shouldn't. Yeah, I think you might be right. And I think part of it is tied to the general manager's tenure, right? So Jim Rutherford, he's been at this for a long time, and he's been winning, winning Stanley Cups. He's got a taste for it. And sometimes I think if you're going to do a full rebuild or even a partial rebuild, you need to bring in uh, a new mind or someone who's who's got a clean slate and starting from square one, whereas Rutherford, I think, has established himself as one of the most aggressive gyms in the league. He's a great trader. He's, he loves to take risks. He doesn't really strike me as the type that would want to go backward. Uh, so I don't know if that's what we're going to see, at least not this summer. I think we're more likely to see some clever maneuvering. I think some important players might get shipped out, but I think he's going to try to rebuild it on the fly, bring back some veterans that can help maybe improve on defense. Uh, so I'm, I'm skeptical. I don't think we're going to see anything crazy. I don't think he's going to trade away Pittsburgh's first rounder, for example. Uh, but it's not a guarantee that we see a bunch of star players moving out either. Matt, great article, great stuff. Thank you for taking the time. We'll do it again sometime, I hope. Anytime. My pleasure. That's Matt Larkin from the Hockey News. Check out his article at the Hockey News website. 412-333-9939. We'll talk about what Jim Rutherford had to say when he spoke to the media today. And we got Josh Joey at 530 here on The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. SG, hola, good sir. Hola. Hey, Mark, how you doing? My solution is give me my cake and eat me too. The X at 105.9. Remember when Jason Bonham, the son of the Zeppelin drummer, said that Jimmy Page gave him cocaine when he was 16 and they were on tour? And I pointed out that the timeline for both Bonham and Jimmy Page indicated that was impossible. Well, today Jason Bonham apologized to Jimmy Page. He said, I unconditionally retract all derogatory and defamatory comments related to Mr. J. Page that I made that interview. In particular, it is wholly untrue that Mr. J. Page offered me any illegal substances either when I was a minor or at all. Unquote. Told you made it up. The timeline didn't make sense. No quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services and by the Ford King, Richard Vazzi's Schultz Ford. Uh, we're in the middle of a major philosophical change on this show, so 
If you hear long periods of silence, that means content has been redacted. Well, either that or the mimes are back. Uh, in Carolina, season ticket renewals are up 91% for the hurricanes. And new plans are up 252%. And that's being celebrated. What a victory for hockey down Tobacco Road. But, I mean, come on. When you win, more people want to watch. If hockey's having a renaissance in Carolina, down Tobacco Road, that's why. Game four of that series is tonight at Carolina. If Carolina wins, it'll be interesting to see where that series goes because Washington looked awful in game three. Uh, One thing's got to be made clear as the Penguins move forward. Whatever direction they decide to go, Rutherford and Sullivan need to be on the same page, and that's got to go beyond lip service. It made no sense to sign Hornquist to a five-year deal And then he's quickly made a third liner. You don't sign Jack Johnson if you want to play a speed game. I'd love to know if Rutherford agrees with how Simone was used and how much. The GM and coach got to be pulling the same rope and not just pretending. Uh, Eric and Branson is an example. If you want a fast team, you don't want him. Although I thought Branson did okay after being acquired. Uh, Rutherford thinks the Penguins need a physical presence but Sullivan obviously does not, or he'd have played Ryan Reeves. The Simone thing still drives me nuts. The coaches love him. The players love him. Advanced metrics love him. But if you're playing top time minutes uh, and you get one goal in 35 games, you stink. Period. End o story. Uh, Jim Rutherford did speak to the media today. Here's uh, Jim's big quote. We were... A very tight-knit team in 2016 and 17, and I didn't see that this year almost from day one. I didn't see a point where our guys came together as a team, and I wonder if it's because there's too many guys content with where they're at in their careers after winning a couple of Stanley Cups. Is that a signal where some of that has to be changed where you've got that eagerness again? There's a bunch of things that were different between the Islanders and the Penguins, and the reason that the Islanders won four straight. They played the right way and they were eager to win. They were determined and the Penguins weren't. Uh, with all due respect to GMJR, I don't buy it. Team chemistry is too intangible to take the blame here. Uh, Rutherford said he won't necessarily be looking to add speed and said the defensive core is the best he's had in Pittsburgh, which is quite a thing to say, but it did have depth. Uh, 412-333-9939 is the number two call. Uh, Michael Jordan called Tiger Woods' winning the Masters the greatest comeback ever. And a lot of people are parroting that, you know, the back issues and all. Except, did Mario Lemieux come back from back issues and cancer? and won the scoring title in 1993 despite playing only 60 games. Mario had 160 points in 60 games. I'd say that's a better comeback. But hey, Mario's not a Nike guy, like MJ and Tiger. Oh wait, I think Mario used to be a Nike guy. But Tiger still is, so there you go. Greatest comeback ever. Guy won the Masters at 43. He has now 15 majors. 
Why can't that just be enough? Why can't Tiger winning the Masters be self-contained? Nah, greatest ever, better than Jack. A friend of mine and I got an argument last night. Mike Perfett is his name. He's an avid golfer. And he his eyes were blazing when I said that Jack Nicklaus was a better golfer. Just blazing. I thought he might hit me. I still think Jack Nicklaus is a better golfer. You know how I know? He has 18 majors. Let's get out of our good friend in the car. It is Bob, the Egyptian magician. Hello, my friend. Hi, Mark. Salah struck again, your guy. Oh, hey, man. Uh, this is good news from the overseas, you know? Well, Indeed. go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, I got two points. One Latang and one GM, okay? Now, I love Latang. I, I I, mean, the, the guy just, he, he, he's a, one of the best hockey players of all time, okay? My question is this. Because he did two, well, in this series, two boneheaded, and then even last year, I remember we were up on the fifth game on the last period, and Latang made a big mistake, and that, Change that series. Here's my question. Knowing the fact that this guy is not going to change his way, why didn't we make any kind of adjustment so in case when Latang comes in, in front, uh, we do something so... Oh, no, no. Uh, let, let me cut to the chase, Bob. What you're asking is, why when Latang pinched in game four wasn't a wing doubling back behind him? Something like that. Yeah, because you know what Latang's going to do. Uh, within the context of the team's current system, he's not going to change, although I'll talk about that more at the top of the hour. I agree with that. I don't want to put a, a, a leash on Chris Letang. I wanted to play like Chris Letang, although about 5% of the time, his his judgment, you know, he could he could do a little better judgment based on score and situation, couldn't he? And risk yeah. and balance it with reward. And as far as GM, I tell you what, I, I still go back to the day that he left, he, he brought Bissarty. I mean, he was in pursuit of Bissarty so hard that he gave up two fighters, you know, Ian Cole and Reeves. And then after that, because Bissarty couldn't fit in, we had so many different trades. And then he, he let Haglin go. He, uh, he did a loss of bad decisions. Yeah, I, I don't think Lucid Hagel was a big loss. Uh, he had slowed down, too, just like a lot of the Penguins. Uh, I don't know. I thought McCann helped a lot. I thought Bukestad helped a little. I thought Ken Branson was surprisingly good. Overall, I thought Jim Rutherford did a, did a pretty good job. Thank you for the call, Bob. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Up next, we're going to talk about Chris Letang at great length. Here on 105.9 X. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 